Now, let's see, are there any things new that the Sahaba or Tabi'in, Tabai Tabi'in did? Can we first find the dictionary definition of the Sahaba, uh, of dictionary definition of this activity of bid'a? So, number one, I'm going to show you some things that the Sahaba Kiram did in the time of the Prophet ﷺ that were not things that he told them to do. Not things that he told them to do. Number one, this is an hadith that is narrated by Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala by in Bukhari and in Muslim. That the Prophet said to Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala at the time of Fajr that, O oh Bilal, tell me about the deed for which you are most hopeful for reward in Islam. For truly I heard the sound of your footsteps in Jannah. Sayyidina Bilal responded, I do not do anything for which I am more hopeful of reward except the fact that I never perform wudu in the day or night without praying what I must pray after each such wudu. And in another date mentioned by Tirmidhi, I never raised adhan except that I prayed two rakat afterwards, nor did I ever lose my wudu except that I remade my wudu and then prayed two rakats to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet responds to this, that with these two rakats you entered paradise. This prayer known as Tahiyatul Wudu, to pray two rakats after wudu, the very first person who ever did this was Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu So he did something which the Prophet didn't tell him. Certainly, those things the Sahaba did while the Prophet was alive, once the Prophet approves it and gives it his sanction, it acquires legitimacy from the Sunnah. But it also shows something, at the same time, notwithstanding that fact, that the Sahaba felt that they could do something new in Nafal Ibadat, that was not instructed to them by the Prophet And because Rasulullah is saying in the Hadith that you got Jannah due to these two rakats, and the prophetic approval of these two rakats is coming after, and the prophetic, the Prophet being told that Sayyidina Bilal got Jannah came before, it means that the legitimacy and validity of this new prayer of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not dependent on the Prophet's permission because his permission and acceptance came after the fact that he had been praying it. His permission and acceptance came after the fact that Jannat ki bisharat And certainly again, it's, we can never think like that about the Sahaba, that they would have done something new in Nafal Ibadat if, as perhaps some may think, that you cannot do anything new in Nafal Ibadat unless the Prophet told you to do so. Then certainly if me and you think that, then certainly the Sahaba would have thought that. And this clearly proves that the Sahaba didn't think that. And commenting on this hadith, Ibn al-Hajr al-Asqalani rahimahullah, the greatest alim of Bukhari, one is to be a muhandith in the sense of compiling chains, and one is to be a muhandith in terms of your ilm of the tashri of the hadith. And everybody agrees, I think everybody would agree, that Ibn al-Hajr al-Asqalani is the greatest alim of Bukhari, and he's a shafiq. 100% ascribed himself to a single legal methodology of the mother of Imam Shafi'i writes in his commentary, Fatful Bari, under this, this hadith, this hadith signifies that ijtihad is permissible concerning timings and acts of worship. Alright? Okay. Second hadith of a sahaba doing some ibadat, right, that the Prophet did not tell them. This is also mentioned by Bukhari. And in the Muatib Imam Malik and Al-Nisai and the Muslim Ahmad ibn Hanbal 
the Sahaba, Sayyidina Rifar ibn Rafi al-Zukari radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When the Prophet was leading Maghrib prayer and said, Sami Allah liman hamid. It's a very famous hadith. So this Sahaba, he was standing behind and said, Rabbana lakal ham, hamdan kathiran, tayyiban mubarakan fiqh. These extra words that the Prophet had never taught him, the Prophet had never said. The fact that the Sahaba felt that he could say this and could say it loud enough that the Prophet could hear and other Sahaba could hear means that the Sahaba did not in any way feel that they were pabang, that in nafil ibadat they can only do what the Prophet told them to do. And obviously then again you're going to have that the Prophet approving of this action later because the deed continues in Bukhari that the Prophet asked who said this, Sayyidina Rafaan said that I said it, and the Prophet said that the angels, the reason I asked was because the angels were competing with one another to be the first to write down the way you praised Allah in this new, untaught manner, inside, in fact, a fad salah. But I'm still going to call it nafal because that part of the salah is nafal. It's not farth to save in Rabbana alhamd. Right? But it is a quote-unquote innovation inside of farth salah. Okay, you may ask, why am I using the word innovation? Because Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani in his Fatul Bari, in commentating on this hadith, says, From this hadith, Jawaz ihdath ihdath hadath, means to innovate something new. From this hadith, the permissibility of innovating, an invocation inside Salah, other than what is received from the Prophet can be inferred, as long as it does not contradict what is received from the Prophet Again, the notion of a new thing, that is not sunnat, but is also not bidat. A third category of innovation, which is jaiz, which is permissible, which in fact, for the, in these two examples, was highly praised by the Prophet So it's either permissible or praiseworthy, but not sunnah, and at the same time, not reprehensible innovation. This has been shown from Sahih Bukhari, from the commentary of Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani al-Shafi, Sown through amal of sahaba and thrown through statements of the Prophet And the conclusions being derived are not mine. I've quoted to you that these are Ibn Hajr's conclusions from these hadith. Alright? Another example. That, and this is in Tirmidhi, and Imam Tirmidhi has called this Hassan al-Sahih. This is what we're going to call this category. Hassan say because later commentators sometimes feel that this hadith in Tirmidhi is sahih and others feel it's hasan. Perhaps anticipating this, or perhaps realizing himself that there was some type of middle category, he is unique and the first person who coined this term hasan and sahih. That a sahaba came, and the name of the sahaba is not uh, mentioned, that a sahaba came to prayer, and they didn't know who he is, but they heard him. He came late, he joined the prayer late. And instead of saying Allahu Akbar, which is a standard takbir, what did he say? Allahu Akbar kabira, walhamdulillahi kathira, wa subhanallahi bukratu wa asila. Then the Prophet asked who said this, and the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, I do not intend by it other than good. So you have now, what is the Sahaba's niyat in doing this? Their niyat is good. The Prophet responded, I saw the gates of Jannah open because of those words. So now the Sahaba added something new. And now what is this? This was Fars Salah in Jama'at. And the Takbir is actually Fard. The Takbir is actually Fard to say the Takbir. 
So now you have a Sahaba adding something new in a fard element of a fard ibadah. And he obviously did not feel in any way that he was not allowed to do so. And now you can think, you know, people love to say this statement in a bad way. I'm going to say it different that the Sahaba are people. Now when the Sahaba see there and they hear the Prophet say that, any normal person would think that, okay, Maybe Maybe Allah ki hamd aur sana ko achhe andaaz se koi naya andaaz se kar sakta. Aise andaaz mein jo Rasulullah ne mujhe nahi sikhaya, kyunki is Sahaba ko is naya andaaz kehne se abhi shabash mili hai aur jannat ki bishaarat mili hai. Right? I mean, I would think that any Sahaba who witnessed this event would think that say, "Kaash itna achha usne bola, kaash mujhe bhi koi koi achha andaaz aata Allah Taala ki hamd aur sana bayan karne ka." That's the conclusion I would think that any sahaba who witnessed this event would take. Alright. Then you have this issue, not the way I'm going to show it to you, but an issue that can be recited surah ikhlas over and over again. Right? And the Prophet never did that. He never recited surah ikhlas over and over again. And remember this notion that if it's not sunnah at bidat, I'm trying to show you that that's not the case. That is not a necessary logical conclusion. Okay, I will show you again. From the Sahih Bukhari, again. And I'm not in any way by confining myself to this, I'm not, those of you who know me from before know that I do not think that only the Hadith of Muslim and Bukhari are a source of our deen. But if there's anybody who thinks like that, then if I present to them, you see, if somebody claims that I only take it if you show it to me Bukhari and Muslim, then I show you Bukhari. If you are honest, then you must change your position. If you were honest, then I'll take it if it's in Bukhari. Once I show you it's in Bukhari, you should have, would have changed your position by now. So another example. Again in Sahih Bukhari. Amma Aisha radiallahu ta'ala narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. dispatched a man as the emir of Lashkar of Jihad. And he led, because he was the emir, he led the mujahideen in Salah, in Al-Jama'ah. And every time he prayed, at the end of his salat, end of his qiraat, he recited surah ikhlas. Every rakat, whatever he recited, wherever he did qiraat from at the end, he would also add surah ikhlas at the end. When the sahabah came back, they asked the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ asked the man, he says that because it describes al-Rahman, and I love to recite it. Ahibbu I love to recite it. So the Prophet said that, tell him that Allah loves it. Allahu Akbar Tell him that Allah Taala loves him. So a Sahaba Karam on his own doing something that the Prophet never did. The Prophet did not end every single recitation of every single Qiraat with Surah Al-Ikhlas. And he did so. Amirul Mujahideen. And the Prophet said, Tell him that Allah loves him. Allahu Akbar this is even more than Jannah. This is even a more bigger bishanat than the earlier ones I gave you. And you're also seeing the niyat. That if any person in Allah's love, not in a way that's khilaf not doing anything against the shari. I'm keeping the definition of bidah along with it. It is completely jayas and permissible and praiseworthy. And it's not sunnah. Doesn't mean we call it sunnah. You can't call it sunnah. The hadith is also serving the Prophet didn't do it. 
I'm telling you it's not sunnah. But it's also not bidah. Right? Okay. Salam? Recitation of Surah Al-Khas over and over again. One is that his kid could, you know, and in fact there's some Arabs who do this. I remember when I was in America, and I used to pray, I can't remember if he was from Egypt or Syria. Allah Allah, I cannot tell you honestly, I remember what country. But I do know he was a non-Gulf Arab. But the non-Saudi, Kuwaiti, Bahraini, Qatari, UAE, one of the majority Arabs, which are Egyptians, Jordanians, Syrians, Moroccans, Palestinians, he used to recite Surah Al-Khas like this at the end sometimes. Not every time, but sometimes he would do that. Right? And it was something new for us also. Right? But something new does not necessarily equal something bad. That's what we're trying to show. Actually, repetition. Again, Sahih Bukhari. It's amazing that, and you should think that, you know, why is it that perhaps some of us may feel that on the one hand we have been taught that it's all Bukhari, and the second hand we've been given very a selective treatment of Bukhari. Why weren't we taught these things? Right? Or when we were taught these things, why were we not taught the Muhaddisin's understandings or the conclusions and rulings that the Muhaddisin derived from these hadith? Right? If anybody maybe have studied Bukhari and not come across these things. Sayyidina Abu Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala narrates that one sahaba heard another sahaba reciting Surah Al-Khas over and over and over again. And in the morning came, he, that sahaba went to the Apostle and mentioned it to him. And the Apostle said that by him in whose hand is my soul, it equals a third of the Qur'an. This is a very famous hadith that the reformists and modernists love to do etraz on. I'm not going to go into that right now. What does it mean? But for our purposes, it means that the Apostle did not in any way nullify or negate that practice. Did not in any way censure the repetition of Surah Ikhlas over and over and over and over again by Sahaba. Right? Neither was that Sahaba ever told or taught to do that. So the Sahaba were engaged in non-Sunnah ibadat, in nafil, in farz, in farz, elements of farz. That I've established to you exclusively from the Sahih Bukhari. Now, that person who thought that the meaning of bidah is to do anything not in the Sunnah, will have to accuse every one of these Sahaba Karam as doing bidah. Or come up with some fancy theory to suggest that they were all doing bidah, but because the Prophet approved it, it's not bidah. Right? But, like I told you, the Prophet has didn't say it anyway. It's okay for him, or it's a good thing I found out, or it's okay because now I know and I've said it's okay. There is nothing in any of the prophetic responses that in any way tries to even close this door. In fact, every single time the Apostle commends the Sahaba for doing so, all of you would have to agree that door is being thrown wide open. And all of the other Sahaba are going to think that this is a great thing. And those need to shabashni. Maybe shabashni nechata. Right? Okay. Another issue, which is similar, another thing on this list. The Arabic word for Taweez is Rukya. And I didn't have this word, but Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala has written a book called Al-Kalim al-Tayyib, in which he has collected a hadith. And he has a whole section called Baab al-Ruqaya, the section of the hadith on the use of Rukya, on the use of Taweez, which talks about particular Quranic formulas, talks about the blowing. This is the question I got, that can you recite particular ayat and why do you blow? <laughs> right? Because the Prophet son did so. Right? Fair Sahaba doing so. Because what happens is that people take those that and say, no, that was khas with the Prophet Once a Sahaba does something, no, there can be nothing that's khas with the Sahaba. I was going to clearly. 
Maybe somebody will try to win you over on that argument that this amal is khas with the Prophet. There is nothing that is khas with the Sahaba. Once a Sahaba can do it, any non-prophetic ummati can do it. Right? So Sahaba doing Rukya. Also in Sahih Bukhari. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Right? Sayyidina Abu Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala narrates that a group of the Sahaba Karam radiallahu ta'ala ajma'in departed on a suffer. And they broke journey and there were some Badu, some desert Arabs who they asked for hospitality. But those Arabs, pagan Arabs, they weren't Muslim, they refused to grant them their tent, a place by their fire, some food, they refused. And then what happened was the Amir, the leader of that non-Muslim group of Arabs, was stung by a scorpion in that night. Then, they kept, the, uh, and they, the, his, his followers of that leader tried to cure him. When everything had failed, one of them thought that perhaps if we approach this group of people, yani the Sahaba, who were camped out near us, maybe one of them may have some cure for your illness. So they came to them and said that, oh, literally it means, oh, group of men, yani oh Sahaba, but oh, group of men, our leader has been stung by a scorpion and we have tried everything, we have no cure for it. Do any of you have anything that can be cured? One of the Sahaba said that, yes, by Allah, I recite Rukya over people. He's not doing it now. He says it's his Amma. I recite Rukya over people. Now how you want to translate Rukya? Words of healing, Quranic words of healing, a Shifa'a, you want to call it Taweez in Urdu. I recite Rukya over people. It's also clear. Not that I'm going to do this just now. He's saying, that I recite Rukya over people. But by Allah, we asked you to be, to host us and you refused. So I will not recite anything unless you give us a fee. You be again. You can take money for Taweez. Well, I'll tell you my I'm I'm doing the research. <laughs> my personal side will come later. Even for free. Right? Right? But Sabakam doing this. Then so they agreed. They agreed upon a herd, not one, a herd of sheep. A herd of sheep. And then they gave it to that Sahaba. The Sahaba went and began, literally, literally means began spitting and reciting Fatah over the victim. Uh, what is the spitting? You do pook in a pook. And reciting Fatah over the victim of the scorpion sting. Until he got up and walked as if he were, this is an Arabic expression, as if he were a camel released from its hobble. Desert man. Nothing, with nothing no longer wrong with him. They paid the agreed upon free, which some of the Sahaba wanted to divide up. But this, that Sahaba who had recited said that do not do so until we reach the Prophet and tell them what has happened and see what he may order us to do. They came to the Prophet and told him what occurred and he said that, how did you know it? And the Muhaddisin write that this was Fatih. Was among the words that heal, you were right. Divide up the herd and give me a share. Allah Akbar, this is Bukhari. I mean, I iska masidar do tarjima karta hu, bas ek baamahawala mein, ki Allah ki bandha hai, aapko kaise pata chalata, kis mein shifa hai, aap, aapas mein taksim karo, mujhe bhi apne asa do, mein aapke nabi ho, right? Hadith, Bukhari, sahaba, saying it's my amal from the past, I did it then, and it worked, right? 
non-prophetic human being. If a Sahaba can do it, anybody can do it. If a Sahaba can do it, anybody can do it. Doesn't mean everybody can do it, like I said, I don't do it, right? But it means jawaz, permissibility is there. Permissibility is there, alright?